In the name of God, who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Amen. We sit. How many of you know what family systems theory is? <laughs> if you want a better explanation than the one I'm about to give you, I encourage you to go see Beth for a free consult later. She's not offered that, but she'll explain it better than me. Family systems theory is the theory that the family is a complex social construct and that members of a family, like your family unit, behave in particular ways that affect the behavior of the other people in your family. Simple enough, right? Something that we study in seminary, or at least we used to, I'm old now, so I don't know if they still do, but they should, because we all, each of us, come from a family. It might look different, it might feel different, it might not be like everyone else's family, but all of us come from some kind of family and thus bring a certain amount of family baggage with us, certain expectations about who we are and how we will behave. And the theory, of course, is that in a church, you can find the very same dynamics that we, as a parish, have certain expectations of each other, and we respond to each other in certain ways that elicit different behaviors from other people. So, it's good to know how this sort of plays out, both in our family of origin, in our family we create, perhaps when we get older, and in the family that is the church. We have relationships, connections, and certain expectations of each other. Now, you've probably experienced this in, in millions of ways in your life, but I'll give you two, two examples that are really easy. First, if you came home from college at some point and felt like you were different, or went abroad maybe and learned something, or had some kind of experience that you really felt like changed you, and then you went home and everyone expected the same thing of you and you got frustrated and annoyed because you felt like you were different, and you were better, but like you just couldn't get out of the system that you were in, that's because everyone expected you to fill a certain role and be a certain way. Maybe you were on the other side of it and you had a best friend or a cousin or a spouse, someone come home to you at some point who was really different and it hurt you even, it made you sad. You just wanted things to go back to the way they normally were. Family systems. Strong connections tend to elicit strong emotions. In many ways, this is what we're seeing happen in the gospel this morning for Jesus. If we listen to the first part of the text, he's been on quite a journey. We know that he was just baptized in the River Jordan. The Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. He spent 40 days being tempted. And the text we have today tells us that he is filled with the power of the Spirit. Now, Jesus is not different because he's God incarnate. He doesn't actually change. But certainly his focus has changed. All of a sudden, at this part of his life, he is ready. He's focused on the path ahead of him, on the thing that Jesus has stretched out before him, on the work that he knows is coming. And this is the sort of moment we find him in when he goes home when the rest of the sort of world around him is hearing good reports and praising him and feeling like he's generally a good guy doing some good things, Jesus goes home. 
probably with some human apprehension, honestly, and what he's met with is pretty difficult. So good, faithful Jesus that he is, he goes to the temple on the Sabbath day. He stands up to read, um, as our confirmands do, and, and continue to do well. And he reads this very particular passage from Isaiah. And it's kind of a tough passage. I think it's very easy to brush it off and sort of, oh, that sounds like good news, right? Jesus is here to give us good news. Great. Okay. But if you really listen to it, it's kind of hard. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, which could also be recovery of sight to those who have walked in darkness, pretty normal biblical theme, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, a couple of things about that. But the most important thing is, at the end of this passage, our lectionary cuts it off, right? It just stops right there. He sits back down, he tells everyone that today the scripture has been fulfilled in their hearing, and that's it, according to the lectionary today. Except, that's not it in the scripture. There's actually a further exchange in which Jesus and the crowd have a bit of a fight. He provokes them. They stand up. They rush him out of the temple to a hillside and try to throw him off a cliff. Welcome home. We're glad you're here. <laughs> now, what do you think is happening there? It's two things, right? First is, this is not what they expected him to do. This is not who they expected him to be. Maybe some of them were a little nervous about him coming home. Maybe some of them were excited he was home. You know, sort of hometown hero, goes out in the world, makes good, has a good reputation, comes home. Maybe he's going to say nice things about them and how God loves them. And instead, he stands up, he reads this passage that seems to say, I'm really important, and you, not so much. And in the following exchange... He pushes even further on the idea that this is good news, not necessarily for the people who are gathered, but for the people who have been left out and left behind. And that is not what they wanted to hear. That is not his prescribed role. He's supposed to come be, you know, the little guy who grew up here, who we all know, who we don't have to take seriously. And instead, he challenges them. And he asks them to do some really hard things. It's easy for us to sort of brush this off, but this passage that he chooses is sort of like his inaugural address, kind of like his opening statement. And so it's interesting that this is what he chooses. At the very beginning of his public ministry, this is the opening line, that we are going to bring good news to the poor. Okay. Where does that good news come from? Who has to give something up in order for the poor to have good news? How about release to the captives? Isn't there probably a good reason that they're captive? Right? Why should they be released? Recovery of sight to the blind or to those who have walked in darkness? That could be a veiled insult at us who don't seem to agree with you, Jesus. I'm not sure I like that very much. Let the oppressed go free. Are you suggesting that we oppress people? Okay, great. And finally, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, some of you might remember that we heard this text, I want to say three, three and a half months ago, 
when we joined in worship with WPC, and we talked a little bit about Jubilee and about the year of the Lord's favor. And there's a couple of special things that happen in that year. Um, one of them is that anyone who is a slave is set free. So if you own slaves, that's a loss for you. One of them is that anyone who owns a farm won't harvest anything on their fields. They just they have to leave everything there so that anyone can come and take whatever it is that they need. Loss of income there. Anyone who has any debts, they're forgiven in a, jubilee, in a jubilee year, so loss of more money there. And there's intended to be a forgiving of grudges, a repairing of relationships, a repairing of the breach. And so also there we have this loss of control, of power, this push to forgive. So this is a difficult text. It's a big ask. And if we take it seriously, I wonder, what, I wonder what the world would look like if we started to take this seriously. Now, I'll say that if you are uncomfortable, good. If there's a piece of this passage that challenges you, you're not alone. I mean, I hope that our response, were Jesus here, would be a little bit different than trying to rush him out of the church and throw him over the side of a cliff. But clearly, this made people uncomfortable. And so I'd invite you for this week to really look at this text, to contend with it. And if there is a part of it that makes you uncomfortable, or frankly, if the whole thing makes you uncomfortable, wonder why. Query yourself and wonder why. And remember while you do that, that God loves you unbelievably, overwhelmingly, perfectly, no matter what, and you don't have to get it right today or tomorrow. But what is it that makes you uncomfortable? Because it should. This is a, a tough passage about the way of the world. And the reason that the folks get up from temple, rush out and try to throw them over the cliff, is because they're hearing it only as good news for these injured populations, for these people who have been left out and left behind. And they haven't heard the rest of Jesus' story, which we have the benefit of hearing, which promises us that when these people are free, so are we. They don't know yet that the whole arc of the story with Jesus is that if these people can be free, if we can find it within ourselves with God's help to set them free, then there is freedom for everyone. They don't know that in God's economy, there's always enough to go around, that there's always room at the table, and that our freedom is dependent on everyone else's. They don't know that story yet, but we do. So this week, I would invite you to question this passage and to question your place in the body of Christ. We heard quite a bit about that in the epistle this morning, which I'm only going to sort of nod at here to say that all of us have a place, both here in this community and in the larger universal body of Christ. We have prescribed roles, just like you do, in your family. And you have prescribed roles in all of the relationships in your life. And like Jesus, if you go down this road of choosing freedom for everyone, probably not everyone is going to thank you. 
there will be conversations that are difficult and moments that are hard. Hopefully no one will try to throw you off the side of a cliff. That would be bad. But if you choose to step out of the prescribed role that tells us that this is not good news, or that it's not good news for us, then you may find yourself also in some difficult spots. But the truth is that when Jesus does this, he sets everyone free. And that's what he means when he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying that I am the one who's come to do this. I am the one, and the moment is now. The tricky part for us is that in this moment in time, in the moment that we live in, it will only come true if you and I, if we, say that we are coming with his message. If we choose to live the way that he did. If we are the ones who say, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And in order to do that, we have to be very serious about proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. What would it look like for you, with your life, with your actions, with all that you do and say, to forgive that radically, to let go of grudges and debt, to make room for other people to have the things that they need, even if it costs you something? What would it look like for you every day, somewhere in the practice of your life, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor? That is the only way that today the scripture will be fulfilled in our hearing. Amen.